This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. All right, Labs, be honest with me here. This is the trust tree. You're in a safe space. <laughs> How yeah. many times? There's a microphone here. Ex- that, that's that's contradictory. No, no, There's no, 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 I'm in the same boat. It's so tough. I feel like I'm writing stuff down, and I'm like, wait a minute. It wasn't a loss. They didn't lose the game to the Lions. They tied the game to the Lions. One more follow-up. How many times have you called the L.A. Chargers San Diego? You mean this week? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, no, I haven't done it at all because I'm doing with that, that, that franchise what I'm doing with the Washington franchise. I, don't, I always refer to that. I don't use the two names together. So the Washington franchise is just Washington. Right. I don't even mess with a nickname because I don't want to mess it up. The Chargers, I don't even talk about a city. <laughs> I just use the nickname, even the in best. first reference. That's why you're the well, best. Because I've done it into this microphone that I'm speaking into right now called in San Diego. <laughs> just call them the Chargers, <laughs> right. and you're perfectly fine. Let's get into this fresh batch of questions from Steelers Nation Labs, and let's start with Tim Sivard from South Hill, Virginia. If Najee Harris gets hurt, it doesn't seem like we have anyone else who can be effective. Would it have been financially feasible to have James Conner on the roster now, or would his salary have been too high for the salary cap? Um, you know, the way that it worked out in terms of what uh, James Conner signed for, which is uh, $1.75 million that was fully guaranteed one-year deal, no. I mean, it, it, it's not too high you know, for the Steelers' salary cap. However, you know, at the time these decisions were being made, uh, the Steelers were cutting salary left and right. Um, so if there would, be, would have been some way to defer this decision on James Conner for a while, then I think that from a financial feasibility uh, aspect, it would have been financially feasible to keep James Conner. However, now let's get on to the other aspects of this. Connor was an unrestricted free agent. He had been a starter, and I think that he certainly knew that he was not going to be a starter in 2021. Right. Uh, the Steelers knew that they didn't want him to be a starter in 2021, and I believe both sides had kind of um, come to the conclusion that it was best to cut ties and everybody move on and, and you know get on with their professional lives. And so... I don't think James Conner would have stayed. I don't think he had any interest in staying. He was an unrestricted free agent. Uh, the Steelers could not have kept him, um, and I don't think he had any, any interest in staying. And so not that his $1.75 million contract was so enticing that he couldn't wait to leave. I just think he would have taken pretty much anything uh, for a fresh start. And Conner is certainly uh, he's a bargain for the Cardinals no at doubt. that number. Um, but I also think that uh, the Steelers did the right thing in moving on from him and drafting Najee Harris in the first round. Yeah, I think both parties are benefiting from that. Yeah. Najee, obviously, great for the Steelers. Connor leads the NFL in all-purpose touchdowns right and, now. And as uh, you know, Mike Tomlin says about free agency, it's free, free for them and free for us. So you know, there's two, two sides making decisions. You can't prevent him from leaving, except to use the, 
franchise tag, and that, that wasn't, wasn't going to happen. happen yeah. uh, and so, again, I liked James Conner. Uh, I think it's a good thing for him to have gotten a fresh start. Now let's see what he can do for the rest of his career. John Knox from Nashville, Tennessee asks, when someone like Kevin Rader is brought up from the practice squad for the week and then sent back to the practice squad, does his paycheck reflect his week on the game day roster? It does. Um, Good for him. Yeah, and it's a significant. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a significant difference. I, you know, just in um, quick, and I don't even. I'd have to really get out the calculator, but I think that a one-week game check for a, for someone with Kevin Raiders' uh, experience and time in the league is over thirty-five thousand um, dollars. His practice squad per week thing is less than half of that. So, uh, yes, and then. Uh, and the, the contracts have to be read. You know, you you have to have a new contract for when you're on the roster, and then a, go back to the contract for when you're on the practice squad. And it's some paperwork that's involved. But there are people in the front office who handle that. And yes, Kevin Rader or anyone else in that situation does reap the benefits of the distinction of being on the uh, r- roster as opposed to being on the practice squad. And I bet no one's happier about that than Mrs. Rader. It's a hell of an extra payday for the Raider family this week. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Matthew McKenna from Brook Park, Ohio. Does the league ever discipline officials when they make horrible mistakes? Well, yeah, there is an evaluation thing, and these guys get graded as crews and as individuals, and then that impacts their uh, standing in terms of being chosen for playoff games, uh, which is also, you know, additional revenue uh, for them if they are selected for those games. And you get more – as the as you progress through the playoffs towards the Super Bowl, um, but I will say that uh, this is never made public. You know, we don't know what if Tony Corrente was disciplined, what um, that discipline would uh, end up being, how that will reflect in his uh, overall grade for the season, his crew's overall grade for the season, and how that might impact their ability and his ability to do you know, playoff games. But, yeah, it's it's a highly guarded secret, but there is some sort of discipline. It's kind of ominous when they keep it so quiet. You know, are they sitting them in a chair, tying them in a room with one lone swinging light bulb as they torture can them? I, like... can, can, I, can I speak up as being in favor of that? Absolutely. Land Clark? I'll double you know what, that motion. You know what Land Clark, you know that is? He sounds familiar. Was he the ref? The referee in the week, right? Lions game, yeah. yes. I heard Billy say his name a thousand times. It's just ingrained in my head now. You know, I thought it was some sort of uh, state park or something at first. (laughs) David Marco from Danvers, Massachusetts asks, is it fair to say that unless Presley Harvin III stops shanking one punt per game, excuse me, he's going to be looking for work before the end of this season? Um, You know, this is a, a, a somewhat popular fan opinion about the rookie punter, um, but, you know, as I try and say as gently as possible, uh, fans' opinions don't matter in these kinds of issues. And Mike Tomlin is not on board with um, David's opinion. And uh, I'll just – this is what – when asked specifically about Harvin, uh, Tomlin said, lately I've been pleased with his performance. And I say that because initially your knee-jerk reaction is to think about his performance as a punter, but he's also a holder. And this, just take a little side uh, trek right here. I was saying this all through training camp, that the most important person 
in this punter duel between Presley Harvin the third and um, Jordan Berry. Jordan Berry, I forgot his name. Out of uh, sight, is, out of mind. Is Chris Boswell? Yeah. Because if Boswell says, I can't work with this guy. You're done. Right. He's done. Goodbye. Thanks for right. thanks for uh, checking in. We'll see you down the road. And so, um, back to what Mike Tomlin said. He's also a holder. This guy's been in some really big moments for a young guy from a holding perspective on some 50-plus yard kicks and game winners and so forth. And our operation there, meaning through the snap hold kick of field goals, has been flawless. Bingo. So um, there's forgiveness for a shanked punt if in uh, the fourth quarter of a game uh, you get the hold down on a 54-yard attempt, spin the laces nicely, you know, for the kick, done. Because that Packers game um, wasn't this week, I believe it was the previous week. They Mason Crosby missed two, two field, field goals. goals. Neither one of them was his fault. No, the la- – he looked right at his holder after the one, right, and just was like, "Dude, you gotta spin those laces, right?" Like, yeah, and it replay like you or, said, clear as day, laces or, right at me. Yeah, or right. Or the other thing is, and Danny Smith told me this once: if the long snapper is good enough, and this is one of the things, that he spins the ball so that the holder doesn't have to spin the laces. He can just catch it and put it down, and the laces are facing away. So you know that I try and. Explain to fans when they say, why doesn't the center just do that? You can save a roster spot because that's not as easy as you think. Yeah, seriously, fans, you think it's super easy to spin a ball five yards behind you and perfectly place it in his hands? Eight yards, it is. No, 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 I'm I'm just (laughs) – because those three yards are are significant. Makes it even harder. And, and again, as Danny Smith said to me, between 1.1 and 1.2 seconds – and if it's over 1.3, get a job at 7-Eleven because <laughs> you ain't going to have one in the NFL. Silver lining with Harvin's punting, too. Yeah, he shanked a couple. It's clear he's got the talent. You just hope he finds the consistency now. Right. He can boom it. It's just yeah. a matter of doing it 9 yeah, and times he's out young. 10. He's right. young. Uh, but I, don't, I, don't, I think now that the relationship that he has with Boswell and the way Boswell is performing, I think if the Steelers wanted to bring in another punter, you know, Boswell might just go to see Danny Smith and say, I like this guy. Joshua Carper from Delaware, Ohio asks, I remember when I was younger, I watched an NFL game where there was a fumble on a kickoff slash punt return, and the defense picked it up and ran it back for a touchdown. The officials, however, moved the ball back to the spot of the recovery and stated the ball could not be advanced. Last night, however, the Bears scored a touchdown on a similar play, when Ray Ray McLeod fumbled and the score was upheld, is my memory mistaken, or have the rules changed? Well, it's. Uh, I think uh, Joshua just has a little bit of a misunderstanding on the um, some of the nuances of the rules because there's a difference between a muffed kick and a fumbled kick. A muffed kick is one where, and this is usually on a punt, where the ball is touched. Uh, by a member of the return team and thus becomes a live ball. A fumbled punt has to be possessed by someone on the return team who then loses possession of the ball. On a muffed punt, you cannot advance it. On a fumbled punt, you can. And so clearly the Ray Ray McLeod situation against the Bears, he had returned the ball for 
some amount of yards before losing possession of it. So then that's obviously a fumble. If the ball had just, say, hit the turf, bounced off his leg, the Bears or the other, the opponent could have recovered the kick but not advanced it. I got a question for you. Do you think the most unknown rule in football perhaps is the rule that on a punt, if the punting team tries to touch the ball, the returner now has a chance to grab it free of any penalty? Because Ray Ray did that against the Lions, and everybody on social media lost. What are you doing, Ray Ray? You almost gave the ball at the one. No one understood he had a free shot at that football. Even if he muffed that, it's okay. Steelers ball. As your uh, colleague Adam Crowley actually tweeted, um, on Steelers.com, we used to have this thing called Coordinator's Corner right. where I would interview each of the coordinators. And this was a few years ago now. I had Danny Smith go over that in detail. And so I knew the rule be- only because of – You know every rule. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's and it's not something that they encourage the coaches, but they do make – uh, the return team aware that if the ball hits uh, a member of the kicking team on a punt and they don't make a move to down it, if you think you can go in there and scoop it up and return it, go for it. Even because, if it hits off your knee. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. Because unless you possess it, and re- you know it's almost like a completing a catch, too. Right. You have to possess it, make a football move, and then they strip it out of your hands. Then it's a fumble. But if anything short of that – uh, it's a it's it's like a no no danger uh, attempt at maybe trying to make a play. Yeah, there's plenty of criticism we can throw Ray Ray's way. Let's not have to make up one as well. That was an actually good play from yeah. Ray Ray McLeod. James Kirby from Buckeye Arizona asks, "What is the current status of Buddy Johnson? Is he being used on special teams? Does he get some playing time as inside linebacker in games?" Um, Buddy Johnson, rookie inside linebacker. Uh, he was active for the first two regular season games. Uh, and has not been active since then. He has not played a snap on defense. He has he played 13 snaps on special teams in those first two um, regular season games. But as I said, he hasn't been active since. I think he's kind of been supplanted on special teams by, you know, some of the other guys. Um, and so I don't, barring injury, uh, the Steelers like Buddy Johnson enough to bring him back next year. Yeah. But I don't think he's on the field. Uh, unless injuries um, put really put him out there. The rare rookie from the 2021 class that doesn't play for the yeah. Steelers. It seems but like I, everybody's pretty much but playing. But I do, I do think, though, that when he uh, gains a little bit more experience and understanding of the defense and stuff, uh, he will be an asset as an inside linebacker against the run. Anthony Hone from Canal Winchester, Ohio. Cam Hayward is an amazing athlete. Making that interception versus the Bears. How many interceptions does he have in his career, and where does that put him in terms of most interceptions by a defensive lineman? Um, well, you know, it's the, these are the kind of questions that I find interesting because you know people off, often assume automatically that when a guy does something, then wow, he must be among the greatest of all time to at ever that. do it. Yeah. Now, Cam Hayward is a, is a tremendous athlete. Uh, as a defensive lineman, I, I can't um, speak enough about his importance to this team. And we'll we'll just talk about as a player. I won't even get into what he brings as a leader and in the, as an example. Um, but Cam Hayward has two career interceptions. 
uh, one of which he rec- last year he got in 2020, and the other came against the Bears on that Monday night. Now, just to put this into perspective to answer Anthony's question, the all-time leader in interceptions among defensive linemen is Ron McDole, who uh, ended his career with the Over the Hill Gang, the Washington Redskins, George Allen, in the early 70s. Ron McDole had 12 interceptions in 240 career games. So second it was a guy named Bill Forrester, 10 interceptions. Julius Peppers, I think, is, is a familiar name to this generation of NFL fans. He's third with nine. Richard Dent, another name from the 85 Bears, is fourth with eight. And then among those tied for fifth with seven is a, a former Steelers player, uh, his name is Dale Dodrell. Uh, Dodrell played in the 50s. He played middle guard li- slash linebacker. He was more of a middle guard in the uh, single wing era of which he played then kind of became a uh, middle linebacker. And they once the uh, most of the teams in the league on offense went to the T formation, um, you stood the middle linebacker up out of the uh, defensive line so that you know he was more mobile. Uh, in terms of getting from place to place against this new offensive formation. So uh, Dodrell has had seven interceptions. So, you know, Cam with two is pretty got, far way down the list. He's got a ways to go, yeah. yeah. But still, like you said, phenomenal athlete, one of the best players in the 2021 Steelers season for sure. I would say he's the best defensive player. I would agree with you. William Hoffer from Carlisle, Pennsylvania asks, has the NFL ever reviewed its statistical policy on who should be held accountable for an interception, such as the quarterback with a bad pass or the receiver who should have made the catch or caused the deflection of the pass to be intercepted, etc.? I looked at it the same with a baseball pitcher. He is accountable for a wild pitch, and catcher is accountable for a passed ball. Yeah, I mean, uh, William, you can look at it uh, as being the same uh, as the baseball uh, reference you made. Um, but it's not the same. I mean, um, assigning blame for an interception, getting away from the way that it's now done, you'd have to know um, what's the coverage, uh, who was responsible for uh, the area in which this play happened. Then you'd also have to know on offense, what was the play call? Um, Was it an option route? So did the receiver have an option when running the route an option route often it will allow the receiver to make a cut left or right based on how he perceives the coverage okay so if it's an option route and the receiver broke left and the quarterback threw the ball to the right well then who was wrong was the coverage actually uh, the way it should have been for the receiver to make that decision or was the coverage as it was presented uh, the way that the quarterback uh, perceived it and so then the the uh, blame then goes to the receiver if it's one way it goes to the quarterback it's the other way I mean there's way too many variables way too much information you need uh, you're not you're not going to get a coach like Bill Belichick to come <laughs> clean with you know who was responsible for that interception and him going into well this was the play that we called and the receiver had these options and this was the coverage the defense was in blah 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 I mean it's just it's, it's you just said more words than Bill said in his past five <laughs> press conferences combined there I mean, you go so um, it's not it's not going to happen it's it's just it would be too unwieldy 
quarterbacks get the big money. They get uh, they get interceptions hung around their neck. Jack Foster from Roundup, Montana. That MT confused me a little bit. I had to dig Nicely. deep into my brains for my old geography lessons to remember what the hell state is MT. Roundup, Montana. Can you please explain the rule of the 40-second play clock in instances where I see that it's getting down to 15, 10 seconds, and I see the quarterback or just recently the center raise a hand up with the wrist bent backward so the palm is flat, which is requesting the play clock to be reset back to 25 seconds. When can a player ask for that, and is there a limited number of times to do that? Uh, they, players can ask for it every snap but it's not necessarily something that will be granted. Um, in an NFL game, the referee is the official wearing the white hat. There's only one official on field who wears a white hat. That's the referee. He's in control of the play clock. So you can ask. When the, when the players are doing what uh, you described, Jack, they are ask, actually asking the referee um, if he would reset the time clock, or that 25-second clock for them. The referee will decide whether or not that request is warranted and either grant it or not. Um, it can happen as many times or as few times, but it's not something like, you know, uh, replay review where you get so many challenges a half or timeouts, you get so many a half. Uh, it's strictly up to the discretion of the on-field referee. A couple more questions here for you. Michael Kish from Sarasota, Florida asks, tell us the truth on Akello Weatherspoon. Doesn't even get a helmet. Not vaccinated, not healthy. Tell us the truth, Labs. Not don't, needed. Don't lie about this. Not needed. Um, you know, Akella Witherspoon was acquired as an insurance against injury to one of the outside cornerbacks. Um, and we've talked about this on, on a, a previous podcast. The Steelers gave up a fifth-round pick two years from now for him. So it's not like exactly like they mortgaged the future of the <laughs> franchise. Um, so now, who knows? I mean, this week could be um, – you know, a break for Akella Witherspoon in terms of being active for a game because of the situation with Joe Hayden and his unknown status right. for the game against the Chargers. Uh, however, Akella Witherspoon doesn't really play a lot of special teams, and so Justin Lane does. And Justin Lane was a, a tall, is a tall outside cornerback who was a third-round pick in 2019. So in some ways the Steelers have invested more in yeah. Justin Lane than they have in Akella Witherspoon, and Justin Lane is tied for the team lead in special teams tackles right now. So while Witherspoon might get a helmet if Joe Hayden is inactive, uh, I don't know that he would necessarily be plugged into the lineup because Justin Lane um, is a core special teams guy and also has similar body build uh, to Witherspoon and also plays outside corner and he's been around for a few years so we're gonna have to see how it happens but um, yeah Witherspoon was an insurance policy and I think in some ways it's good that we haven't had to see him play a lot so far and finally William Heiss from Sumter South Carolina asks playing the Bears last Monday night made me think of a game with the Bears years ago if I remember correctly the Steelers had a nice lead in the fourth quarter I forget the quarterback, but I believe the receiver was Dave Smith, who was wide open, caught the ball, and was on the way to an easy touchdown. But he threw the ball down before he crossed the goal line. Is my memory correct? Uh, no, <laughs> it is not. What are you uh, thinking about? Uh, Come on, no, William. No, this happened. 
um, but he doesn't have the opponent correct uh, or some of the details of the game correct. But he's got the wide out right. Got the wide out right and got the fact that Dave Smith did lose possession of the ball. He was running, you know, un, uh, unopposed at the end of a catch into the end zone, lost, uh, uh, lost possession of the ball, uh, and it went out of bounds, and so it was a touchback given to the opponent. Uh, but the, the event happened in 1971, October 18th. It was a Monday night game, but it was against the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, and the Steelers did not have a lead. They trailed at halftime 28-9 in that game. They ended up losing 38-16. to uh, William, if you're interested in seeing this, hmm. no, I'm serious. Go to Google. Uh, just type Dave Smith fumble into it, hit enter, and the very first thing that will pop up is a YouTube video of the play. So if you want to see it, um, you can. Most infuriating play, I think, in my mind when I see it happen, and it seems to happen almost every year. A player drops the ball before he crosses the goal line. I think Deshaun Jackson's done it like three separate times in his NFL career. I, I don't understand how you have the mindset to just drop the ball right before you get in. Premature celebration, maybe. Maybe I would. I, you'd have to pry the ball out of my cold, dead hands before I let it go after I scored a touchdown. That's going to do it for this edition of Asked and Answered. Always a pleasure, Labs. For Bob Labriola, I am Tom Opferman, and we will talk to you guys on our next edition next week.